Well, Christmas has come and it's gone. New Year's is almost here. We've had the Christmas decorations, the Christmas colors, the songs, the presents, the, the family get-togethers, whether in person or perhaps this year, more of it's online. We've enjoyed the Christmas feast, whether you like turkey or ham or barbecue. And as Christians, we know the reason for the season. And so we've celebrated the birth of our Savior, Jesus Christ. But now what? That's a good question, particularly as we are thinking about heading into the new year. Christmas has come. Now what? Well, Matthew's gospel account can help us. Because Matthew's gospel is all about Jesus as the king, the king who has come. Right? We saw just a few weeks ago that in chapter 1, Matthew gave us the genealogy of Jesus. And even though there's some some unexpected names on that list, as Andy pointed out. It still demonstrated that Jesus was the rightful heir to the throne of Israel. In chapter 2, Matthew told the account of the Magi, those, those wise men from the east who had, who had traveled so far so that they could see the one who had been born king, born king of Israel. And then they worshipped him. They didn't come to see Herod, the appointed king, appointed by the Roman authorities, they came to see Jesus, the one who had been born king. And then just two chapters later, in chapter 4, Matthew, he jumps ahead to the beginning of Jesus' ministry. And the first words from Jesus when he started his ministry were these. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. Well, that kind of makes sense, doesn't it? The kingdom is here. Because the king is here. And it's the king who determines the rules for his territory, doesn't he? He's the one who sets the standard for what is acceptable behavior in his kingdom. A major question that Matthew wanted his whole gospel account to answer is this. If Jesus is indeed the Messiah, if he is the king who was to come, then where is his kingdom? Right? To Matthew's readers who were living under Roman occupation, it certainly didn't seem like they were living in Jesus' kingdom. And I think there's some people here today, whether you're sitting in the sanctuary or you're sitting at home, you're asking the same question. Right? As Christians, as believers, you belong to Jesus Christ, the King. You already are citizens of heaven. As the Apostle Paul told the Philippians in his letter to them, but living here, having lived through 2020, yeah, it certainly doesn't seem like we're experiencing life in Jesus' kingdom, does it? And yet, we just celebrated Christmas. The king has come. But is Christ's kingdom really here? Just think of what we've been through this past year. Especially think of it in terms of our church family. When we're supposed to reflect, to, to show the very character of God. And yet this year, we've been just as divided in here 
as things are out there in society. I mean, just think about the nasty political division. The division over social justice issues, including but not limited to how to respond to the, the racial protests and riots. And then there's that deep divide over how to respond to this COVID pandemic. I mean, are you experiencing life in the kingdom, really? The king has come. And we don't want to miss out on the impact of Christmas in our lives. We don't want to let the miracle of Christmas, when God the Son, he, he became fully human like you and me. He was born king. He ushered in his kingdom. We don't want to let what God was doing go to waste, do we? So how can you experience kingdom living right now? Well, Matthew can help with that. He has an answer for us in Matthew chapter 18. So open your Bibles, if you will, to Matthew chapter 18. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 9. We'll be looking at Matthew 18, verses 1 through 9. Our text this morning is Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through verse 9. And first, we'll see how kingdom living is characterized. Second, we will look at what needs to be forsaken. And third, we'll consider one appropriate response. How kingdom living is characterized, what needs to be forsaken, and one appropriate response. And the first thing I want you to see is that kingdom of heaven living is characterized by having childlike humility. In other words, if you want to experience life in the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, then you have to have childlike humility. Look with me. At Matthew 18, we'll start with the first four verses. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he, Jesus, called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Matthew began by writing, at that time, that means that what he is about to say is connected to what has just happened. At the end of chapter 17, Jesus had just given the disciples a lesson in being citizens of the world. Now, he's going to give them a lesson in being citizens of heaven. And notice, the lesson comes because the disciples had a question for Jesus. Look again at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? That question seems kind of innocent, doesn't it? Kind of general. I think the disciples were thinking about their own greatness. Which one of them was the greatest of the group? Because back in chapter 16, we read that, that Peter was given special knowledge about Jesus by God the Father. Chapter 18, Jesus picked three of the disciples, and only three, to head up to the mountain with him and to witness the miracle of his transfiguration. And so now we get to chapter 18. Hey, Jesus, which one's the greatest one of us? Which one of us is the most important? Is, is it Peter? James? Is, is it John? 
Jesus, who wants to teach them about what it's like to live in the kingdom, is going to give them an object lesson that they can understand. So he calls over this little child, and he's going to use the image of the child to teach them something very important about kingdom living. Let's look at verse 3 again. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you change, become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus led off with the word amen in Greek. It's amen. Translated here is, I tell you the truth. The meaning is, listen up, y'all. This is important. And then he gives us the key to the lesson. He says, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, the change that he's talking about here is not the change of repentance, right? Where you, you go in the sinful way, you change directions, and you come to God in faith. No, the change that the disciples needed was to change their thinking. To thinking about status and having power over others. The salvation's not at stake here. What's at stake is living in the kingdom. Because that is true, notice what Jesus said in verse 4. He said, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now that's a radical thing to say. Because back in Jesus' day, the status of a child, it's way down here. It's about the same as a slave. And so Jesus is saying, because you cannot experience kingdom living without having childlike humility, therefore, whoever embraces the status of a slave like this, this child has, they're the great ones in the kingdom. They're the great ones in the eyes of the king. But Jesus wasn't done yet. There's part two of the lesson. The second part is that Jesus said that <clears throat> the willingness to accept a humble citizen of heaven like this child, that signals that you're willing to accept the king. Look at what Jesus said in verse 5. Whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. Now, Obviously, Jesus is not talking about toddlers here. He's talking about the same kinds of people he'd just been talking about in verses 3 and 4. Talking about believers who are living the kingdom life because they have childlike humility and have embraced their lowly status. And so, um, that's who he's talking about. And the verb that he uses here, to welcome them, that means that you welcome them as an honored guest. You pay careful attention to them, and then if they have any needs, you meet them with kindness. And so Jesus is saying, if you do that in his name, if you welcome a humble citizen of heaven and do that in his name, and you treat them well, that's like you're doing it to Jesus himself. So what was Matthew doing here by telling us this account of Matthew knew people. Matthew knew God's people. And even though believers have been given the Holy Spirit to indwell them, they're still people. And so even good disciples of Jesus at times can struggle with status. 
Now, we shouldn't find that surprising, right? Because as believers, as citizens of heaven, we have special privileges, don't we? I mean, we've made sons and daughters of the King of Kings, and we get to call him Abba, Father. We've been given the Holy Spirit to be in such an intimate relationship with us that we talk about it like he's on the inside, the indwelling. And for an inheritance, we share in the very inheritance of God the Son. So naturally, as people, sometimes we get kind of puffed up and think we're something special. Truth is, we are. But only because God has chosen to love us. Our specialness comes from him. Not from ourselves or something that we've done. You see, there's only one great one in heaven. And that's the king. And then there's all these people who look like him, who look like the child, humble in status. Like Matthew's readers, as you follow Jesus, as you minister to one another, you might struggle with status too sometimes. Maybe your struggle is with your own status, and you think that you're up here somewhere. I mean, after all, you're going to Bible study, maybe more than one, and you know a lot about what's in the Bible. Maybe you're volunteering more than someone else. In fact, you go down to South Dallas and volunteer at Cornerstone. Or maybe your church, Grace, isn't struggling as much as someone else's church. Or maybe your struggle with status is with someone else's status, and you think they're down here. Right? I would never sin the way that Christian sinned. How could she think like that? How could he have voted that way? When you think that you are above other Christians or that they're below you, when you treat them differently because of that, when you treat them with disdain or you disregard them, as far as Jesus is concerned, that's how you're treating him. And yet a fundamental truth is this. You can't separate God's people from Christ. That's why what you do to other people is what you do to Jesus. Kingdom living looks a lot different than that, though. Living in the kingdom is marked by having childlike humility. It's marked by no pride, and so there's no concern over status. It's marked by looking like the king. And when you're living with childlike humility, that's how you look like the great one who's in heaven. That's how you experience kingdom of heaven living. I mean, can you imagine what Grace Bible Church would look like? What North Dallas would look like if everyone here did that today and did that in 2021? Well, we've seen how kingdom living is characterized. Now let's take a look at what needs to be forsaken because of that. The desire for living in the kingdom 
leads to forsaking whatever leads to sin. The desire for living in the kingdom leads to forsaking, leaving behind whatever leads to sin. And the first thing I want you to see here is that if you cause a citizen of heaven to sin, that's a serious offense. Look with me at verse 6. Jesus said, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Just like earlier, Jesus is not talking about toddlers, right? He's talking about his spiritual children here. And, and the verb that's translated to sin, it means to stumble, to literally to cause someone else to fall down. The idea is that you are enticing someone. You're making it easier for them to choose to do the wrong thing. Because of what you do, they choose to do something that ruins their relationship with the king. Look again at verse 6 and see how seriously Jesus takes this. He said, If anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. The word Jesus chose to use here for millstones, not one of those little grinding stones you use in the kitchen. It's one of those, those great big ones that's dragged around by a donkey or a mule. It weighs hundreds of pounds. Now, if that were put around your neck and you're tossed overboard, you're not coming back. You get the idea that Jesus takes this sort of thing very seriously. He said dying a terrible and dying a certain death is better than the punishment that God has in store for someone who causes a citizen of heaven to stumble and fall into sin. And then notice what Jesus said in verse 7. He said, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. Now, woe is a word that just means that you deserve God's condemnation and his punishment for what you've done. We need to keep in mind that, that the whole world is under God's curse, right? From Adam's original sin in the garden. And then because of that, the whole world is full of sin. No wonder why Jesus said, such things must come. And then after that, everyone is under God's curse because of their own sin. But Jesus ups the ante here. Right? He says you're under God's curse not just for your own sin, but also for throwing down stumping blocks that causes someone else to sin. Woe to the world. In other words, woe to the people who aren't believers who do this. And then he says, woe to the man. That's any person. That includes you and me. It includes believers who do this sort of thing. The second thing I want you to see is that sometimes the stumbling blocks that lead to sin, they come from ourselves. Look at the first part of verse 8. Jesus said, if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, then look at verse 9. If your eye causes you to sin. Now to understand this, we need to re remember that in the Bible, oftentimes they talk about the feet being what you travel on to go do the sin. Hands are what you use to actually do the sin, and then the eyes, that reflects the desire of your heart. It's, it's your vision, if you will, to see yourself 
doing the sin and enjoying it. Jesus is saying that sometimes the stumbling blocks that cause you to fall, to fall down and sin, they come from you. And because he takes this falling into sin of one of the members of the kingdom so seriously, look at how he says we should respond to that. Verse 8 again. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. Now that's hardcore. You get the idea that Jesus takes this very seriously. And he is deeply concerned about the spiritual health of everyone who's part of his kingdom. Now, he's not talking literally here. He's not talking about literal amputation and literally gouging eyes out. It was hyperbole. It was an exaggeration to make a point. But the idea is that this is so serious because when you stumble and fall into sin, you ruin your relationship with the king. You can't experience kingdom life that way. And so you need to do whatever it takes, even something as drastic as amputation, to keep that from happening. And when you cut out, what's ever causing you to stumble and you toss it away, that's like forsaking it, like I mentioned. Because you've left it behind. You've abandoned it. It's no longer there to cause you to stumble. And and why do that? Jesus said it's better to enter into life. In other words, it's better to experience life in the kingdom than to experience the sin that you had found so appealing in the first place. Like I said earlier, the desire for kingdom living should be so high that it leads you to forsake whatever caused you to stumble and fall into sin. So why did Matthew record these these rather harsh, I think pretty shocking words of Jesus? Well, he knew that life in the kingdom is radically different than life in the world. He knew that every day that God's people would face things that could cause them to stumble and to fall into sin and ruin their kingdom living, ruin their life with their king. And if God's people want to experience that radically different kingdom that that God wants for them, they have to be prepared to do whatever it takes Whatever it takes to remove those obstacles that keep them from experiencing life in the kingdom. Well, like Matthew's readers, you may face stumbling blocks for yourself or you put them out there for someone else. A husband might say to his wife, in three months from now, four months from now, honey, we're going to take this deduction. We're not really entitled to it on our taxes, but no one's going to know. Besides, everyone does this thing. He's committing a double sin. He's committing fraud, 
And he's enticing her to join him in doing it. There's a couple going on a date. One may seduce the other, or at least entice him to watch some inappropriate entertainment. Maybe you're interacting on Facebook, and you're writing words and anger. You're writing harsh words, damaging words. And you're enticing other people to jump on the bag wagon and join you in doing that, let alone how the person who wrote the first post is going to respond. But that is all wrong because King Jesus loves every member of his kingdom. You, me, every single believer. He takes your spiritual welfare seriously. And so should you. He wants all of us to experience the goodness of life in his kingdom. And because it's so good, that should lead you to want to forsake these stumbling blocks that can get in the way. Well, we've seen how kingdom of heaven living is characterized by childlike humility. We've seen that we need to forsake these stumbling blocks that lead into sin, so how should you respond? Strive for childlike humility as you interact with other believers. Strive for childlike humility as you interact with other believers. Now, Jesus' teaching has been crystal clear. All believers, every single one, no matter what they look like, no matter their education or their knowledge, no matter their job, no matter how they voted, they're all subjects of the king. All of them are valued by their king, King Jesus. And however you welcome them, however you accept them, however you treat them, as far as Jesus is concerned, that's how you're treating him. I mean, this is the king whose birth we just celebrated two days ago. The, the king who humbled himself, became fully human like you and me. The, this king who lived a perfect life and never sinned, even though he's tempted greatly. This king who was innocent but chose to take our sin and our guilt upon himself and then took the punishment we deserve to pay for that by being nailed on the cross 2,000 years ago and being killed and placed in the grave. And then three days later, this king rose from the dead. And when people believe that, like you and I, God ushers all of them into the kingdom. So how can you experience kingdom living right here and right now? How can you value them like the king values them. How could you treat them like you would treat your king? Strive for childlike humility as you interact with other believers. Now one way to do that is to, is to serve, humbly meet the needs of others even when their status is quite a bit below yours. You may have heard the name Sam Rayburn. He was a, a Christian, and he was a congressman from Texas. In fact, he served in the Congress for about 50 years. And he was the Speaker of the House for about 20 of those. 
Obviously a man with a lot of status and a lot of power. Well, one day, he found out that the, the teenage daughter of a reporter had died tragically. And so the next day, he shows up, knocks on the door of this reporter who he'd become friends with over the years, and he said, is there anything I can do to help? And the dad said, no. We're making all the arrangements. Then Sam asked, have you had your coffee this morning? And the dad said, no, no, we haven't had time. Then the speaker of the house went to make the coffee. And then the dad, the reporter, remembered, he said, hey, Mr. Speaker, I thought you were supposed to have breakfast at the White House today. And Sam said, I was. But I told the president I had a, a friend in trouble and I couldn't make it. When you love and serve a friend in need, and you have an offer with a much higher status as far as the world is concerned, and you do the friend thing instead of the status thing, that's living with childlike humility. Another example of striving for childlike humility is, has to do with how we treat other believers online, right, and social media. Social media is such a great thing. It's a way that we can interact with others without being there in person. Maybe we can't be there because of miles. Maybe we can't be there because of COVID. But as great as it is, there's a danger. Because when you can't see the person, sometimes we lose our social filters. You may say something innocently. They take it the wrong way. You can't tell that because you can't see their face and their reaction. You don't know there's a misunderstanding that you could clear up. Or worse yet, you're reading a string of posts on Facebook and you respond with anger or with harsh words, words which can wound. I mean, after all, you're just talking to a screen, not to a person. When we lose our social filters, when we lose our self-restraint, that increases the chance that we're going to throw down stumbling blocks that can make us stumble or can make someone else stumble into sin. I mean, how many times has this happened to you? You're, you're reading some post on Facebook. Someone gets a little snarky. And then other people jump on the bandwagon and join in. The person who wrote the original post, right back at you. They respond the same way. And things just spiral out of control. Just last week, <clears throat> a group to which I belong, the Pastor's Helper, yes, it's for pastors, had this, this interaction online. They said, running this page, it is such a blessing most of the time. Other times, it's a huge disappointment. And today was a case in point. We had to remove the link to an helpful article because the comments that were being made were so derogatory, so demeaning, I mean, it was over the top. They said, it seems like 
every time that people assume we're on a different side of the issue than they are, that's when the claws come out. You know what they mean. And they went on to say, we had to remove that link because we didn't want people to see such childish behavior and to respond in the same way. Keep in mind, they're talking about pastors here. So how can you keep yourself from laying down those stumbling blocks? How can you experience kingdom of heaven living? Well, you need to strive for childlike humility in your interactions online. Sarah's heard me say this, my wife. I say it at home. I say it out in public, but out in public it's a little more quiet. I say, just because you think something doesn't mean you have to say it. And to help with that, using the THINK acronym is useful. Now, the THINK acronym was thought up a number of years ago. It was a, a thing that was supposed to help decrease the, the, um, the online bullying that was going on. If you've heard about it, great. Time to dust it off and start using it, especially now with COVID and politics and social justice issues and everything else that can provide division within our church family. If you use this THINK acronym, it will help you as you strive to live out. Childlike humility help you as you try to experience living in the kingdom. Before you type something, or before you say something, stop, use the THINK acronym before you go on. T, is it true? Or is it a feeling <clears throat> or an opinion? Fact check it if you need to, and then clearly express whether you are sharing a true fact or if it's something else. H, is it helpful? I think that one's self-explanatory. If it's not helpful, change it or just stay silent. I, is it inspiring? Does it elevate the conversation? Or does it lower the conversation? If it lowers it, then change it or just stop. N, is it necessary? Is it better said or is it better left unsaid? If it's better left unsaid, you know what you do. Stop. And then finally, K, is it kind? Is it kind in what's being said and in how you're saying it? If there's anger in there, if there's mean-spiritness in there, any of that stuff, you have a chance to change it before you send it. The bottom line is, is what you're saying and how you're saying it, how you would do it if you were saying it to Jesus right in front of you. Because that's what you're doing when you're communicating with another Christian. Are you showing the Christians who are watching you that you really are a citizen of heaven? Well, we've seen that kingdom of heaven living is characterized by having childlike humility. We've seen that if you want to experience that, you need to forsake the stumbling blocks that can get in the way. My challenge for you this week 
as we head into 2021 is that you strive for childlike humility as you interact with other Christians, whether you're doing it in a person or you're doing it online. Think about it. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you are good, and you're so good to us. Thank you for giving us your son, whose birth we celebrated just a couple of days ago. Thank you for the gift of faith in him and for making us your children and bringing us into your kingdom. Today and in the days ahead, please remind us of this reality. Help us to live like we really are citizens of your kingdom. Help us treat other believers like we would treat our king, King Jesus. To that end, please help us to strive to have childlike humility as we react with others. We ask this for our good, for their good, and for your glory. We pray this in the name of our King, Jesus Christ. Amen.